Hello and welcome to Talking Sports with TK. I am Tommy Chrysan. Glad to be here. Glad to have you there. Thank you for listening to this podcast and please feel free to share it with all of your friends. This episode, Chin Music, all about Major League Baseball. I'll be joined by Rick Robinson. Today's topic, Unwritten Rules of Baseball. Got some really cool and funny stories about all of that. A couple of them including me, a couple of them including my good friend Rick Green, and a whole lot more. Rick Robinson and I will kick it around. Chin music, the unwritten rules of baseball in just a couple of minutes. You will enjoy it. And again, please share it with your friends. Also, please feel free to connect with me on social media. I'm happy to do that. Tommy Chrysan, K-R-Y-S-A-N, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Talking Sports with TK has its own Facebook and Instagram account. We're going to listen to a quick message, then we'll come back, and we'll be joined by Rick Robinson, and we'll do some chin music. Kind of ironic, a couple of chin music stories will be involved right after this pause on Talking Sports with TK. Stay tuned. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This episode, Chin Music, will all be about the unwritten rules of baseball. This kind of evolved into the topic for this week. So that is uh, really good, and I'm happy to be joined by Rick. A lot of talk about the NFL football draft this week, but we're going to talk baseball as we like to do once a week. Chin music. Rick Robinson, hello. How are you today? Wonderful, wonderful day, Tommy, because they're finally talking about how they're going to bring baseball back to life this season. So we'll have to wait and see what happens, and we'll be talking about that in a future episode, I'm sure. There's a lot of what ifs about that. There's some things that I've seen that I'm not wild and crazy about. And certainly many players are chiming in with, with their thoughts on some of these things. But uh, but all in all, uh, I hope we see some form of baseball real soon. But uh, as we sit here getting near the end of April, we still do not know. So uh, I'm like you and all the other great baseball enthusiasts that – you know, our ears to the ground, we're reading the internet, and, and we hope to hear some good stuff real soon. You know, last week you brought up a great story about Rick Green. And it kind of led us into the whole idea of the unwritten rules of baseball. I, I think that one was absolutely brilliant of, of an unwritten rule that uh, is out there that to be honest with you, you can pull up a lot of the websites and say unwritten rules. That's not one out there. Why don't you tell that story again as we lead in today's uh, topic? Well, Rick Green is a, is a great friend of mine. He was a, a great pitcher at LSU. Uh, when they won their first College World Series National Championship in 1991, he was on the mound and recorded the last out of ground ball to third and gave the Tigers their first win. That was against Wichita State, their first College World Series title. They got five more since then. But uh, Rick was a, held the saves record at LSU when he left, only to be broken some 20 years after he was gone. 
And then he was a first-round draft choice of the Detroit Tigers. He played on the United States Olympic team in Barcelona, Spain. And he got to spring training being a first-round draft choice with the Detroit Tigers. The manager at the time was Sparky Anderson. And, you know, Rick's nervous. He's a rookie, a first-round draft choice, so all eyes are on him. And they, they're all getting together first day of spring training, and he bumps into Sparky Anderson, the legend. Okay, and he, he says, hey, coach, how are you? And Sparky didn't say a whole lot. And Rick moseyed on, and uh, Alan Trammell, great player for the Detroit Tigers, pulled him aside and said, hey, rookie, come here. You don't call coach. You call him skipper or manager or Sparky, but you don't call him coach. This is the major league baseball. This is not college ball, high school ball, whatever. So Rick said, lesson well learned. And uh, that was just the story that kind of sparked us. You know, I, th- I think my uh, I, 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 I love that rule because that one actually doesn't show up anywhere when you try and search anything on the Internet. But everybody knows that the one big unwritten rule in baseball is when you hit a home run, don't show off. When you're trotting around the bases, uh, don't do a Jimmy Pearsall and run backwards. Uh, don't do don't do something. Don't take too long. Don't do the Batista flip. Uh, those are all going to lead to retaliation. And I, what I think is great about the, the rules of baseball is there are times that these rules, especially for a pitcher on this rule, showing off for a home run, last for a long, long time. Uh, I think the greatest story about this is um, n- 1979, you have two journeymen that are out there, uh, uh, Ed Farmer, who had played with a bunch of clubs, Wayne Groves, who played with the athletics. Uh, they, they, everybody who knows anything about, about Groves, his big thing, he was in Angels in the outfield, okay? But he hit a home run off of Farmer, and he took a little too long, according to Farmer, to round the bases. Now, you wait a couple more years, and the next time they face each other, they're on the same team in spring training. And Farmer, in batting practice, drilled him. (laughs) You know, so, you know, it was said that Gibson one time waited 15 years to drill somebody for an infraction that he thought somebody was running around the bases a little too long. So these pitchers, man, remember it entirely. So you being the pitcher, you being a pitcher, do you remember when you drilled somebody? Yes, I do. And it's uncanny how you could, pitchers and hitters can remember 40 years ago what the count was and what pitch they threw or what pitch they hit. It's uncanny. But, yes, yeah, so I was a college left-handed pitcher at Southeastern Louisiana University. For those of you around the country, it's about one hour east of Baton Rouge, about an hour north of New Orleans. Um, and I was a left-handed pitcher. And as a freshman, a little skinny, tall, lanky freshman, I got the call from the dugout to hit a catcher for Southern University who was 6'5", 220. He was also a tight end that actually played a little pro football. And I'm there, I see the sign that I got to hit him. And I'm, I'm looking to see that to, if the gate in center field is unlocked because if he comes to the mound, I'm going to try to beat him to that gate and get the heck out of here. And uh, But anyway, I, I, you always do what the coach asks you to do. It is a coach in college, not a manager. And I said, uh, so I hit him right between the four and the zero in his back. He turned his back and I 
plunked him right between the numbers. And, and he looked back at me and he wasn't real happy. Well, he had been running his mouth for several innings to all of our hitters. You suck. You're terrible. You can't hit. He, w- he wouldn't stop chirping. So finally our team had enough of it and I got to sign to hit him and, my catcher jumped in front of him. He didn't charge the mound. He kind of didn't even step that way. He looked at me pretty meanly. But uh, anyway, my catcher said, hey, you've been running your mouth all day. Go to first base. That's enough. Guess what? I haven't said another word to our hitters the rest of the game. So message was delivered. One other time in a double Well, and th- that's actually another unwritten rule of baseball, right? The catcher gets in front of the batter. When he's hit, when he looks like he's coming to the mound, the catcher gets in front. Doesn't let you, you can catcher actually gets fined if the if the batter makes it to the mound. Exactly. So my catcher uh, Chris Belmont did that for me that day, and I appreciated it because uh, James, James Queen was the catcher's name. He he'd have had the advantage over me in more ways than one if he'd have came to the mound. But the other time I was, uh, we were playing a doubleheader at Tulane University in New Orleans, and. And in the first game, I was not pitching, and one of their players, they were beating us like 14 nothing. He drops a drag bunt down for a hit, trying to pad his average when the score is 14 nothing. And I, I'm like, I'm sitting in the dugout. It's game one of a doubleheader, and I'm like, man, that's not good. He was a high school teammate of mine. Well, I was a starting pitcher in the second game for Southeastern against Tulane. He batted third when he came up. I hit him right in the thigh, and I, that was not called from the dugout, but I had to let him know that I didn't like the unwritten rule that he broke. I drilled him in the thigh. After the game, he said, Tommy, I, I knew I had it coming. I shouldn't have laid that butt. Thank you for throwing it below my waist. You know, and I did that because I knew the guy. I still know the guy to this day. He was a high school teammate, classmate, the whole bit. So twice I did that both times were surrounding unwritten rules of baseball. I remember sitting around one day and Boog Powell was in, in the group of people that I was with. I, I take that back. Tommy Lasorda was in the group of the people that I was with. And I asked Tommy Lasorda, you know, when, when, when Koufax retired, he had only hit seven batters. I asked, I asked uh, Tommy Lasorda, I said, why did Koufax never retaliate? And, and Lasorda just laughed and said, because he would have killed somebody. <laughs> <laughs> he threw that hard he would have killed somebody but well, you know, I, a, a lot of these a lot of these retaliations result uh, breaking the rules result in you know in in somebody throwing throwing a, a you know a, a ball at somebody in retaliation by the pitcher but some of them are just not like not talking to the pitcher during a no hitter that's one I have on my list here, you know, uh, uh, when a no hitter is gone, you know, once you get to that fifth inning or so, he, he, nobody talks to the pitcher. Nobody mentions the fact it's a no hitter. I've been a sportscaster for a long time. I, I've called a lot of baseball games and even as a sportscaster, you don't bring it up when you kind of get into the game to the halfway point or further and, and a no hitter is going on. Uh, you don't talk about it, and I've seen. You know, we've seen many a shot into a major league dugout when the pitchers. It's a six or seven, and he's got no hitter going, and, and nobody's sitting within six feet of him. They're social distancing him <laughs> about the no hitter. So that's clearly that was on the top of my list. Is you don't talk about that um, in the uh, dugout, on the radio, on television, in the bleachers, in the stands. You just don't do it. 
The exception to that is when Jim Bunning had his perfect game on Father's Day 1964 against the New York Mets. He had been in the position several times before where going into the fifth or sixth inning, he had a no-no going. And at this point, he had a perfect game going. In fact, he realized it in the sixth inning and suddenly realized that all the other players were getting away from him. So in order to keep things loose for himself, he began walking up and down the dugout while the Phillies were at bat. Slapping people on the leg, saying, "Look at the scoreboard. I want people diving. I want people diving. Don't be, don't be, don't let any, don't let any, any uh, die, uh, dying quails go in there. Going to the outfielders, you know, going, you know." And he was trying to keep himself loose because he just didn't want. They said, they said he was chirping like a like a hockey defenseman, uh, you know. <laughs> we, he walked up and walked up and down, but he he would not shut up because he wanted that was his way of keeping himself loose during a perfect game. Well, funny you bring that up. I learned something two days ago about that Jim Bunning perfect game. Uh, I learned about two days ago. I was in a conversation with a uh, another guy who played baseball at Southeastern Long after me and then actually had a coach by the name of John Stevenson. And I know John. I met John many times over the years. When I played, when I played yep. ball, he caught – he, he was the coach at William Carey which is a small private school in Hattiesburg, basically across the street from Southern Mississippi. He was the last out recorded in that game. John Stevenson was the last out that Jim Bunning recorded. And I didn't really know that. So I looked up John Stevenson. I Googled him and went to Wikipedia because I wanted to see how many years he had played in the majors. The answer was 10. And in the opening paragraph, they said he made the final out in Jim Bunning's perfect game. And I went, oh, wow, I did not know that. So small a- world. As a gift one time, I actually got John Stevenson. So, you know, you, you've seen the, the UPI picture of Bunning throwing the final out of the perfect game. Stevenson at the plate. The umpire given the given thing. It was funny that Jim, when Jim got out there, he said he didn't need the scouting report. He said he said Stevenson couldn't spell curveball, let alone hit one. So <laughs> it was curveball, curveball, curveball. But. Uh, I got John Stevenson to sign a picture of that to give to Jim as a gift. And he he used to keep that on his desk in Washington, D.C., uh, in the United States Senate, of the of an autographed picture of John Stevenson to him of the perfect game. Very cool. John Stevenson still living in the Hammond area where Southeastern Louisiana University is that I mentioned earlier. I was told he's still living there. And, and a great guy, great baseball guy, did a great job as a coach and, and all that. But, you know, he was on the big, in the big leagues for 10 years. You, you got to do, you got to be able to hit something to be there for 10 years, even though, as Bunning said, he couldn't hit a curveball. Here's something, one that I hadn't thought about. Uh, until I started doing a little bit of research on the unwritten rules of baseball. When you come to the batter's box, you don't walk in front of the catcher and the ump. You never do that, right. And if you're a, a, a fielder, you never run. No no one should ever run between the pitching rubber and the plate. Like If you Correct. ground out the first base, you go behind the mound back to the third base dugout if that's where you're headed. Going on and off the field, you never run between the pitching rubber and the home plate. Uh, you know, in fact, man, oh, 10, 12 years ago, Alex Rodriguez went straight across the infield and went over the mound uh, while he was jogging. Next time he came up, he got drilled. Yeah, I got ding. And I was just going to say that was the only time that I, I, I learned about that rule by, by learning about the Rodriguez retaliation. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. And so speaking, this is, and speaking of speaking of uh, of of no hitters, never bunt. You talked about a bunt, but never bunt to break up a no hitter. Although a couple people have done it and have gotten vilified in the press over doing so. That was in my notes as well. You don't break it up with a with a bunt. Uh, you, you try to get a hit out there. So, you know, this has been a lot of fun, Rick. Uh, we could go for hours, even for days on, on the unwritten rules, but baseball enthusiasts know exactly what we're talking about and and uh, appreciate your time today. And we'll be back again next Wednesday. We'll have some good news, some info about MLB perhaps starting up or, or a plan to start. I hope that is what we're going to be be talking about. I love throwback throwback league on on podcast but i'm ready for some real baseball all right rick you have a wonderful week we'll do this again next week thank you tommy with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.